Thanks for tuning in to the Peace Church Student Ministry Sermon Podcast, a podcast for middle and high school students. Our hope in offering this resource is to see students experience life change through Christ-centered relationships. See, we believe that every student has the opportunity to live their life to the fullest when they choose to live it for Christ. And so with that in mind, let's jump right in. Oh, uh, go Bucks! There we go. So a little bit about me. Um, so your youth pastor, Mike, was actually one of my youth pastors back when I was in middle school. So that should give you an idea of how old Mike is. So uh, we're going to be going through, of course, our side of the flood accounts today. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Genesis 5.28, and I'll give you all a second for that. And so first things first, though. See, the Bible is told as a narrative, which means the Bible is one big story. So like how of every story, like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Harry Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, each of these stories have small little stories that affect the entire story in a large way. And so the flood's just like that. And so just like with um, every story, there's also characters. And characters are origin stories, their own dilemmas, their own problems. Um, so like, you know how like, like Iron Man, let's see, let's see, there's a there story, there you go, Iron Man, and you know, he has a nuclear reactor stuck in his chest because he got hit with a missile. Oh, you got the incredible Hulk who got nuclear radiation poisoning. He's not runs around in the shorts. You got Captain America who took a bunch of drugs and now it's like a frisbee throws around. Please don't take drugs and throw a frisbee. It's not good for you whatsoever. I do not recommend that. And so our first character in our story is God or Yahweh or Elohim to the Hebrews. And so that basically just means supreme being, existing one, the one above all. And so God's done stuff like create the entire universe and everything that we see in it, and uh, part red seas, make axe heads float. Oh, no. He knows every single hair on your head, which is not as creepy as it sounds. And most importantly, he died on the cross, and then three days later, resurrected himself, uh, paying for our sins and defeating the enemy. And there's also Noah. And so Noah, he lived in the 10th generation, and then the first generation is Adam, 10th generation is Noah. So a little over 1,000 years after the creation event. And see, Noah lived in a world that was very different than our world. See, in Noah's world, there was this um, big, super massive continent that some might call Pangaea. So instead of like Asia, North America, South America, all that, it was one big landmass. And also, I know Mike kind of talked about this a few weeks ago. There's this thing called a firmament, which is basically this weird dome-like thing over the sky. I know it's like, I may have water or something, it might have been made of ice. But you know, it's a hard-like dome over the earth. So kind of like that snow globe over there, just imagine that, that the glass on the globe is actually water. And so, <clears throat> also animals and mankind were not in enmity of one another. So enmity is basically a, a big fancy word that means they weren't fighting, they weren't quarreling, they didn't fear each other. Animals and mankind were actually pretty chill. Like you go walk up to a lion, give it a high five or something. And um, but also mankind was also sinful and very violent. And I know that hasn't really changed today, but back then it was even worse, it's even more severe. And also, people lived centuries without facing death. So like Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, lived 969 years. That's right, 969 years without death. And Noah's father, Lamech, lived 777 years. So, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So that, so that curse ourselves, you know, Adam had to work the ground for his whole life. It won't really yield much fruit. Lamech is hoping that Noah will give relief from that. So, of course, Noah then spent a century building a giant wooden boat. 
And so now we're going to hop back into chapter 6, verse 1. A man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God, or in Hebrew, the ben ha Elohim, saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and took her to their wives, and they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were mighty men of old, the men of renown. <coughs> So in this section, we're introduced to some side villains, the sons of God and the Nephilim. So the sons of God is basically a term that refers to heavenly beings. And so there should be like angels and stuff like that, our spiritual beings. But see, some of these angels also have fallen and went against God, just like mankind has. And so this gets rise to the Nephilim, which are our children of these fallen angels and these, these women. And so Nephilim is basically just a, a word that means giant or gigantus. And so, so these Nephilim are these ancient warriors, these ancient kings, they're very terrible and violent, and they'll find one another, and just being an overall obnoxious and violent nuisance. We see these guys in the book of Numbers, there's the land of Canaan, when Joshua and Caleb go out to the promised land to go like scout out everything, and they see Nephilim, and it makes them afraid. And where Joshua and Caleb are afraid, but other ten spies are. And uh, we actually believe that Goliath, from the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 16, in this story, a Nephilim himself. But see, these guys are just side villains. In this story, Mankind is actually the main villain. See, mankind, when we decide to sin against God, honestly, we, we're created by God to be loved by him for us to love him back. And we sin against God, we basically just spit in his face and go, nope, we don't want you. We want something darker, more sinful, more evil, more flawed. We don't want anything to do with you. So, and this, so mankind actually becomes a villain when we sin against God. And this breaks God's heart. It's like a bad breakup, honestly. So hopping into verse 5, the Lord said, Our Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every attention and thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out man, whom I have craved from the face of the land, man and animals, creepy things, the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. God, see, God does not want this. Again, this breaks God's heart. But see, there's an exception to, to this. What, one man stands out in verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that, that's obviously a kind of a term, favor in the Lord, that we kind of throw around, but we don't always fully understand. But see, verse 9 kind of explains what that means more. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You see, being righteous and blameless in your generation and walking with God is a tough thing to do. You see, in order to do that, it requires obedience. And see, as you guys look through this whole story, obedience is kind of the main idea uh, of what the story is trying to uh, come across. Uh, so, so our first question for today, hey, all, um, let's see, wait. That's wrong. First question, what does it look like to walk with the Lord and be blameless and stand out in your generation? You guys have a couple of minutes? Go. All right, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. All right, all right real quick, real quick, real quick. There you go, table around there. There we go. So let's hop back into chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have returned to make an end of all flesh, for the earth was filled with violence through them. Behold, I destroyed him with the earth. Now you guys might be thinking, why is he just saying the same thing over and over? But see, back, back in the Bible, or in Hebrew literature and Hebrew poetry, Hebrew the original language that the Bible was written in, or the Old Testament was written in, 
And so they couldn't put things in bold. They couldn't highlight them. They couldn't write in all caps. As they couldn't underline it. They couldn't put exclamation points at the end of it. So instead what they did is they restated the same idea multiple times to show emphasis on it or show that it's super important. And so you guys will see this more as you go throughout the scripture today. <clears throat> so verse 14, God says to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now gopher wood is a wood, but we don't exactly know what kind of wood it is. We have wood that we call today that's gopher wood, and we don't know if it's the same kind. We don't know how hard or flexible or waterproof the wood is. We know that God's obedient, I mean, obedient to God, and then he makes it out of gopher wood. And God says, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside out with pitch. So pitch is basically it's kind of like, like mud-like like surface from the ground that you kind of rub over your boat to make it waterproof and to kind of caulk it, and so no water gets in. And then verse 15, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, and spread 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and fish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die. Uh, and so, oh, a, a cubit is about from your fingertips to the bottom of your elbow, or about 18 inches. So that means that Noah's ark would have been about a football field and a half long. Uh, and maybe not as wide, but that's still a pretty big ship. And I've got kind of a graphic for you guys up there that kind of shows it. It's kind of hard to see from where you guys are at. But see, in the lower deck, that's where you keep all the animals because the door on the side. It's been very hard for the animals to go upstairs, especially the elephants. And um, also, it's that middle part, the second floor. Oh, and so, kept all their food. And then um, in the top part, it's where you kept the birds and the people. Oh, and so... <coughs> oh, this ark can actually hold 125,000 sheep-sized animals. Let's say it again. 125,000 sheep-sized animals. That's huge. I think this room could probably hold, I want to say, about 50 sheep-sized animals max. And so, though, and then they hop back in to verse 19, or sorry, 18. And so this is where the plan really starts kicking into action. And God says, but I'll establish my covenant with you. And you shall come to the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort are with you. <clears throat> the animals, the male, male, female, the animals, the birds according to their kinds, and the, the, the creeping things according to their kind, uh, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Now here comes the juicy part, the best part of the cow. Verse 22, the flaming yawn. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. So I want you all to think for a second. This plan is absolutely crazy. It makes almost no sense to us. <clears throat> so, like, think about this. Has anyone ever been at a long car trip in like, the back of the car of your siblings? I guess you all don't have siblings. I guess you are only children. Or has anyone here ever quarantined during COVID for like a, a hot minute? I was quarantined twice when actually and the pandemic started, and then we actually did get COVID. So now I still can't really smell right. But see, we know we're, we're cramped in a small space. We go nuts. We get, we get mad at each other very quickly. We get irritated. We go, I want the iPad. Mom says my turn on the Xbox. And then we just all start fighting with one another. And just getting overall more violent with each other. But also, think about this. God's telling Noah to put a petting zoo on a boat for a year. And that, that's disgusting. And see, Noah can't just open a window to let the stink out. The animals are doing their business in the ark, and it's just staying there. Because they open the window, the whole inside of the ark is flooded. So this plan is disgusting, and it doesn't really make much sense to us at all. 
But see, God loves using crazy plans or small things to show how powerful he is. As God's kind of like a fine of an arm and his legs tied behind his back with one pinky out. And there's examples of this throughout the whole Bible, like with Moses. See, Moses was a guy in his 80s. He was a shepherd guy who ran away from Egypt because he's a murderer. And he also has a speech impediment as well. But see, God uses Moses. As Moses wasn't even willing at first, Moses made an excuse to try to get out of it. God uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. <clears throat> and Joshua 6 at Jericho. Hey, think about this battle strategy. So Jericho is this, this huge, giant city of walls all around it, huge walls to do chariot races on. Well, and they had like bows and arrows and everything to, to snipe people. So God, of course, tells his people to get all religious artifacts, like the Ark of the Covenant, walk around the city once a day for six days, alluring the people of Jericho of their presence. And then on, on the seventh day, hey, God does something crazier. I'm going to walk this way because I'm getting dizzy. Hey, I'll try to bounce it out. God tells us, the people of Israel, to walk around Jericho seven times, and after you're done, take that G and blow it all at the city of Jericho. Think about it, that's a stupid battle strategy. And first off, you're learning to them where you are, and also the trumpets are basically saying, hey, we're here to attack you. But see, God still wins. Because when they blew the trumpets, bam, the walls fell straight down. And it's absolutely crazy. And one of my favorite examples is the 12 disciples. See, the 12 disciples, most of them are red neck. Matthew 26 tells us that they all had accents because they're from the Sea of Galilee. They, um, all they did was fish all day, and they're just happy doing that. That's all they really cared about. But see, God uses these guys, not much education, to change the entire world. Even Acts 6 tells us that the Pharisees and the Sadducees is in Sanhedrin are like, how are you guys even able to talk like this? It's only through Jesus that you guys are able to talk like this. And so I want you guys to flip to Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. If you guys have your Bibles with you. It's okay if you don't, I have it with me. Trust in the Lord of all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your, fret, to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So our second discussion question for today is, why can you trust in God's plan to obey him, even if it does not make sense to us? you got another few minutes to do that. All right, let's hop back on this, hop back on then. All right, guys, now we're going to pick back up in, in chapter 7. And um, then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. <clears throat> and seven pairs of the birds of the heaven also, male and female, to keep your offspring alive on the face of the earth. For seven days, I'll send rain on the earth, 40 days, 40 nights, and every living thing that God commanded him, I'll blot out from the face of the ground. Verse 5, and Noah did all that God commanded him. And so, this is God, I gave me out his plan. You guys might be wondering, I thought it was two and two, of, or one and two, one pair of every animal. Well, not seven pairs of, of, of these animals. <clears throat> but see, God commands Noah in this section, he asked him to plan, take a few seven pairs of all the clean animals. Now, a clean animal back in those times, that mean like an animal that was like freshly bathed and have like water dumped on it or perfume on it. So a clean animal was an animal that God said, hey, these are good to sacrifice me. This is what I like being sacrificed to me. Please sacrifice that to me to atone for your sins. So God's being provisional here and getting Noah ready for after the ark, which is kind of a way to let Noah know that, that like it's all good. You'll be taken care of. <clears throat> and then in verse, let's see, he's six. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. 
And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are not clean, of birds, of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two male and female went to the ark of Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And so God gives seven days for Noah to get all his stuff together and get on the ark. And this is a very intense seven days. So is anyone here like play like football or anything? Is anyone here like run cross country or track? Like um, or just like any sport. <clears throat> before a game, you know how you get like all jittery? Or before you're about to speak in front of a bunch of people that you don't know, you get all very jittery. You get like, very excited, you get very antsy. So I did cross country. And so every time we're on the line, like we're getting ready to go, I'm bumping elbows at people. I'm to go, oh, like that. It's getting like really tense. We're just waiting for a, a big gun to go off. So you all go sprint off into the woods somewhere. And see, it's that same type of tension that God's giving Noah. The whole earth is about to be destroyed. And so God, I was giving him that tension. But also the seven days is that God lays out. This is also to represent kind of a restart for the earth. It's like when your computer isn't working, you got to reboot it. You got to kick it a few times. Got to hit power down, um, shut off, restart. God's giving Noah a heads up like, hey, things are about to be restarted in a big way. And so the wars camp on the earth. <coughs> earth home. Verse 11, in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. So the fountains of the great deep, basically it came from these like big underwater oceans, rivers, and lakes. And so from time from time, they'll pop up and water earth. But this time, like all of them pop up, kind of like a broken fire hydrant and, or Old Faithful at Yellowstone. Has anyone here actually been to Yellowstone? You're very blessed, young man. And so all this water keeps popping out everywhere. But also, remember that ferment from earlier? So basically that just comes crashing down. All the water from all that just keeps, keeps like popping down. How, like, it's nuts. This isn't like a shower. This isn't like... <laughs> I was waiting for that all day. I was so excited to do that. <laughs> it isn't like getting sprayed with water gun either. It, like, this is actually like, traumatic and intense and violent. Just wars are flying everywhere. 17, 20, everywhere. And, I, and you guys don't know how to turn here. But in Luke, Luke 17, 26 or 27. See, I think that's the right one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus actually gives the account for what happened in, during this time. Just as it was in the day of, days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and be given to marriage. How cute. And so the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. So the people around Noah were completely oblivious as to this. And they probably saw Noah building this giant boat, but they didn't care. They were still dead in their sin. They didn't choose to repent. And see, so there's actually evidence for the flood all over the earth. <coughs> so the Grand Canyon. Has anyone here actually been to the Grand Canyon? Oh, nobody? Oh, he, you've been to the Grand Canyon? Congratulations. I've only got to fly over it. So the Grand Canyon, if you guys go <clears throat> out down the Grand Canyon, there's a layer of silt. It's like this weird layer of silt that has like fossils in it. It gives evidence for a giant watery catastrophic event, which is evidence for, as for the flood. And see, these fossils all like died a quick and tragic death. And the Black Sea, see, eh, there we go. The Black Sea. That, see, that's like kind of like by Russia, Ukraine, pray for Ukraine. And all. You see, the Black Sea, we have evidence that the Black Sea was actually washed out, reshaped, and that Selmas around the Black Sea, it died because of some giant flood. And also the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea was actually just kind of like a little lake over here, kind of like more near Asia, Europe. Uh, and when, when the flood came, it actually poof, flooded out, and it just kind of carved out this huge sea that split Africa and Europe apart. 
And there's also fossils all across the world in low valleys on tops of mountains that also give evidence of this giant catastrophic event, taking them all out quickly. And actually, other religions and people groups has verified this too as well. I'll see the Sumerians, they kind of lived like Iraq, Iran kind of area. And they talk about how people lived a long time before and after heard, heard this giant global flood that wiped away everything and had to be restarted. The Babylonians, the people who actually persecuted the Jews back in the day, the people who were against Israel, they even talk about how there was a giant global flood and that they had to use to restart everything and killed all life except a few. And the Norse mythology, that's like all that Thor stuff and everything. They talk about how a giant flood came through and wrecked everything and had to restart. You guys might be kind of wondering, like, why I'm talking about, like, pagan religions that are against Christianity and a, a, a service. I want to give you all a story that kind of helps you understand that. So, like I mentioned earlier, I used to run cross-country back in school. And so one time we had a race, it's down in uh, Cary. I think it's about, like, an hour and a half away from here. <clears throat> so not, not from uh, middle of Virginia. Yeah, and so, like, me and my teammates, as we drove down, I don't know, and we're all, like, 14, 15 at a time, so we're eating tons of food. We're growing boys. We stopped at many restaurants. Honestly, you know, we didn't need to. We had tons of snacks. And so we're just eating the whole way down. So finally we get to the hotel. It's okay. We all get to our room. I'll take turns in the bathroom. Like, we run there. Go. All right, next person. Just keep going. Keep going. So everyone has to go. So this hotel also didn't have the best plumbing as well. So <clears throat> after we're done, all right, all right, let's go have fun. Let's go explore. Out, out in the room, and the last person out walks past the bathroom. Here's, and so he walks out. And he goes, "Hey guys, I think you really want to see this." And we're like, "See what?" So he walk in, walk in the bathroom, and we go, "Oh, you don't want walking too far. Water everywhere, absolutely disgusting. It's like flowing, leaking. I don't know what's going on." So we we all start panicking. We have no clue what to do. It's like our first time away from home without any parents or some of us. And so I panic and go. I'll fix it. I just start running. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I'm going. I skip the elevators. I go down the stairs and everything. Hey, I just go to the lobby. And I see our receptionist, and so I was like, she might know what she's doing. So I walk up to her, and I, I was kind of shy, so I went, excuse me, ma'am? And she went, yes, young man, how may I help you? And I said, oh, I'm room 214, and my toilet is leaking and overflowing everywhere. And she goes, oh, okay, well, where are your parents? And I panicked and went, oh, I have parents. And she went, what? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. So I'm here with a cross-country team. And so we're here for our coaches as our parents are back home in Lynchburg. Here I go. Of course, she didn't know where Lynchburg was. I was all, and she said, okay, where are your coaches? I was like, I have no clue. She goes, well, where are the rooms? I said, I have no clue. She goes, do you have your number? I went, nope. And so she, and, and she just went on and was like, okay, where are your parents? So I panicked again and went, I don't have parents. And so we just kind of did that over and over for like the next like 20 seconds. Her forgetting that I don't have parents. It's me forgetting that I already told her that I don't have parents. And so she goes, all right, I'll send someone your way and to come help y'all. And so I just kind of wandered around the hotel for the next hour, just kind of looking for my friends. And as I'm doing this, people, all the hotel staff are just like running around the hotel, like carrying towels and stuff with them, looking at all the roofs and everything, looking at the floor. And I was like, what's going on? Well, and so after that hour's up, I see my friends, and, and they look, come, come to me and they go, Ben, what did you do? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, they told me the same thing, like people were just going crazy around the hotel. And they said they walked, walked past the kitchen and they saw a chef in the clean lane talking. And the chef was like, yo, what's going on? Like, it's like someone dying, someone on fire? And this old clean lady says, there's a little boy in room 214 who has no parents and his whole room is flooded and water's going from, from the floor to the ceiling. It's going out to the halls and everything. See, a small 
this overflowing toilet got turned into this huge giant catastrophe that really d didn't really match up the original story. And so that's kind of like what, <coughs> what Satan does with all these other religions. He takes a true story of a global flood and he changes it to mess as a, a humans and try to get under our skin and try to change the truth. And so this is just one of those common patterns of Satan that he loves to employ. And so in verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark flowed on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that are high above the mountains, and the whole heaven were covered. The mountains prevailed above the mountains, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And so, again, a cubit is about 18 inches. So that means the water was over the earth about 22 and a half feet. So it's kind of like going to the 20th pool and seeing a whole mountain range below you. And so verse 22, everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man, animals, creeping things, and the earth. Only was no one was left, and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So that's 40 days, 40 nights uh, of the uh, actual like, torrential downpour from everywhere, and then 110 days of just water everywhere. And of course, everything is pronounced dead because it's a giant flood. There's good news, though. <coughs> Chap chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and water subsided. And the fountains of the deep, and the windows of the heaven were closed, and the rain from the heavens were restrained. So the firmament is now gone. I mean, as you guys can tell, just by looking up in the sky when we walk out, there's no firmament there. The waters of the deep are mostly closed, except for Old Faithful and a few other things out in Yellowstone and all that. And then the rain just stops. So it's all calm. There's on top of a giant ocean. So verse 3, And just like my hairline, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the tenth month, and tenth month, on the, that's a tongue twister, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountain were seen. And so the mountains of Ararat, so they're kind of located in like modern day like Turkey, near Armenia. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if you guys have heard this, a lot of people are actually kind of searching for the ark. Like they make expeditions out there, they walk around for days. But honestly, I don't think they're going to find it. So the mountains of Ararat, and we just know that the ark landed in these mountains, so we don't know the exact mountain that it was in. Also, these mountains are extremely volcanic. So that means that if the ark was there, most likely it would have burned up by all the lava. And if it somehow did not do that, it would have brought it away eventually. And so, <clears throat> verse 6. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro, so the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him. And see, the water has decided from the face on the ground. But a dove found no place to set her foot. You guys didn't know the story, how it keeps going. And so I was going to summarize it real quick. So uh, now again, a week later, Noah sends out another dove. But this time, it finds an olive, olive leaf. So, so you know how like a Wally, when like Wally is like, um, you know, he's like wandering around the earth, he helps up a fridge and finds like the plant in the boot. It's kind of like, like that, but instead it's a dove. And so a, a week later, Noah sends out the dove of again and it, it does not come back. Now, doves are, are, like a, are a symbol of hope. So that's why in the Gospels, when Jesus is getting baptized, a dove descends, and it's, it's kind of a symbol for hope. That's what God's way is saying, and this is, this is a hope for you guys. Right, and so, 
just like a, just like a Wally, this plant is a sign that the earth has escaped to come back on. Because well, actually, Wally is actually a retelling of the flood, but it's just not biblically accurate whatsoever. And so, we'll hop back in. And um, <coughs> the war is at 13. In the 601st year, the first month, the first day of the month, the waters had dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark. He made his ark a convertible. Oh, and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your son's wife with you. Bring out with you every living thing that's with you, of all flesh, birds, animals, and creepy things that creep on the earth. They may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So, of course, Noah being obedient, Noah went out and his sons, and his wife and his sons with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on earth went out by families from the ark. And so Noah is, is walking out on a completely new earth. Before we get to that part, I want you all to know something. So notice how on the first day of the first month, when Noah made his ark a convertible, he, he looked out and saw the earth was dry and ready to go. You see, Noah did something really interesting. He stayed in the ark another month and a half, which is like really weird. But see, instead of going out on his own wisdom, seeing that the earth is dry and doing his own thing, no way a whole other month and a half. So this guy's about ready to burst out. He's ready to get out the ark. His family, they've all gone to tons of fights. His sons have all like beat each other up now. There's animal poop everywhere. And Noah waits a month and a half till God says it's okay for him to leave the ark. Because Noah, again, is obedient. And so, <clears throat> when Noah walks out on the earth, the earth is completely different. All the continents are, are, are split apart. The ferment's gone. All the vegetation animals are gone. Uh, it's, it's, it's still regrowing. It's, it's still repopulating all the vegetation. The earth is completely scarred by mankind's sin. Now, Noah did, did bring on the flood, but, see, but that's because he had to have a response to mankind's sin so that we may have a hope, hope through Noah and through, eventually through Jesus. So John 10.10, 10, you guys saw on the flip there, tells us that the enemy, which is Satan, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And see, the flesh is a perfect example of how far Satan is willing to let things go oh, and so that we may be destroyed. But thankfully, we have someone stronger, being the Holy Spirit within us and Jesus, our Savior, who has ultimately defeated the enemy so that it really has no power over us. So now we're going to hop back in, into verse 20. <clears throat> then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, He's, he's burning cows, he's making steaks, so I don't blame the Lord. Or no. The Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man. Again, that's a reference to the fall in Genesis 3 when God cursed Adam for his sin. For attention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. So, uh, uh, Noah, so not, Noah's also promised that there's also going to be seasons as well, which I think is honestly very cool. Like, we kind of look over that sometimes. That's really cool that God promises seasons. And, and so uh, keep going in verse not, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon uh, every bird, every moon, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all fish in the sea, and to your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives, it shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you should not eat a flesh of its life that is its blood. So it's actually a pretty cool thing. <clears throat> so remember how I earlier said mankind and animals were not an enmity of one another? That big word basically means like they weren't fighting one another. So this is where it all changes. 
God tells Noah that he may eat of the animals and every moving thing the same way he eats plants. Because at this point, Noah's on a plant diet. He's on that keto vegan diet. So that's kind of like God coming up to you and be like, hey, do you see that rock? Eat it. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love that. It's that weird for Noah. But see, and Noah's promised that he's able to eat every moving thing. In verse 5, and for your lifeblood, I require a reckoning. From every beast, I require it, and from a man. From his fellow man, I require a reckoning for the life of man. And verse 6 kind of says the same thing, but just more poetically. So God's also saying, hey, every time that a man or animal kills a human, that somehow a price will be paid, hey, whether in one shape or form, or whether or not we see it or not. And this is a promise from, from God. And in verse 7, and here, here comes the big juicy part. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase great on the earth and multiply in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons, as with them, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you, you and your offspring after you, and with every length and creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it's for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for all future generations. And see, we're, we're part of those future generations. All of us in some way or form descend from Noah. I have sent my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. Now, of course, you guys know the story. The bow oh, is this big, it's a big rainbow. Which for you guys, you got that red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. I get the blue and yellow. I'm a little colorblind. Right, so you guys are very blessed. And so <clears throat> all this is possible because one man, just one guy, the Bible doesn't say that his family is obedient. I'm going to assume they're kind of with Noah on that. But Noah's obedient. The whole, all of you guys now live because of one man's obedience. And so I want to tell you guys a story about obedience, about students y'all's age who are obedient. So there's, there's a, a life group from a church, our job, and these guys are about 15, 16. And, uh, most of them went to the same Christian school. A few of us went to a few of the public schools around there. Here, but these guys were obedient to the Lord. And so these guys know that there, there's a, a, a guy in, their, in their, a lot of their classes who's struggling a lot. This guy cussed a lot. He told all the dirty jokes. He would play like, like really like inappropriate videos on his phone to mess with everybody. He, um, <coughs> he did a lot of things for attention. He was also really violent, too. Like, he, he was not afraid to hit people. Oh, um, he was not, not afraid to make a racket. And, but these guys saw that this, this guy was broken. So his life group started to get to know him. They started to love him, and they started giving him food. They started inviting him to sit at their lunch table. Oh, um, they started to love on this guy. Now, remember, this, this life group didn't start acting like him, but they still loved him and welcomed him and brought us to him. And so they were able to start um, inviting this troubled old guy into our life group. And the guy did the same things, cussed a lot, told dirty jokes, distracted the whole time. Uh, but he slowly started to get into it. And so they, they were able to convince this guy to come on a, a youth retreat or a church retreat hey, for the weekend. And believe it or not, this guy actually gets saved. This guy very far away from God uh, chooses to follow Christ and to, and to repent of his sins and, and start or chasing after Christ with these guys. And as this guy is saved and he's opening up more, it turns out that this kid actually... He came from a pretty tough home. His parents abused him emotionally, physically, you know, verbally. They would, they would hit him sometimes. <clears throat> his, um, this guy actually multiple times tried to take his own life. And it got to the point where, where, where this student was checked into a mental hospital. 
And see, all that was going on, the mental hospital, the abuse is a suicide, all that was going on while these guys were loving him. But because these guys loved him, they're able to lean to the Lord who saved his life. And this guy's life was changed forever. And see, that story is actually very important for me. Now, some of you guys might have guessed it, and all, but I'm actually that guy. See, I was a very, I was a very violent person. And I, I was to worry of just like, uh, even these guys, I would go up to them and they made me mad for like dumb reasons. I would shove them against the wall in front to beat them up. I did try to take my life I've multiple times. I was checked into a mental hospital. Because, because these guys were obedient, I was able to be led to the Lord and now my life has forever changed. And, and some, of you, some of you guys have seen me for years here at Zom. I mean, you guys, oh, a little over a year. But you guys see me at camp and I've been able to talk to you guys. As you know that my life's very different from that now. And that's all, all out of obedience to the Lord. So our last discussion question. What does it look like to walk the Lord and be blameless and stand out in your generation? And yes, this is the exact same as the first question. But I want it to be a little bit different the way you answer it. I want you guys to start thinking of people you know that you can start loving and obedience to the Lord. I want to hear names of guys who go to your school or who are struggling. I want to hear, hear names of girls that are struggling with their identity. Hey, I want to hear ways you start serving the community, ways you go out of your way and be to the Lord. And, and I want you to look for people that you guys don't normally minister to. Like, as you all know, that the disability community, the disabled community, is one of the most unreached minorities in America. We don't really think about that too often. Now, as I was driving through here, here I saw people on the sides, sides of the road who were struggling. Hang on. Of course, do, do, that, do that ministry safely. Maybe, um, Probably bring your parent with you since you guys are still pretty young. Uh, but who are people that you guys could reach out in your community? I want, I want to give you all a, a good few minutes as to do that. I just because I really want you all to use the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit work through you and think about that. All right, everybody. I just want to pray for you all real quick. And, um, the next one will come up in a second. And, but um, I just really want to take this time to pray just really focus in on what God's doing. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for today, Lord God. Thank you for this awesome, awesome youth ministry. God, thank you for everyone who came out here, Lord God. God, just help us not be complacent of where we are, Lord. God, help us to be uncomfortable. God, just help us to reach out to the people in our community who really need you, Lord. God, just help us to be instruments and tools for you, Lord. God, just help us to not be afraid of anything. Help us to be you know, 2 Timothy 1.7. For we have not given a spirit of fear, spirit, but power, love, and self-control. God, help us to live knowing that we have no spirit of fear, but we have your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for this day, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. Now, I think you all got a Bible Project video.